All right, go ahead and take a seat. Go and take a seat. Uh, I love that. Hey, can we bring house lights up just a little bit? Want to be able to see you. Good morning, guys. You guys doing good? Is it weird to think that it's almost July already? Some of you guys that live in um, fireworks areas, like we live in Santa Ana, and uh, so any of you guys that live in Santa Ana or have lived in Santa Ana, uh, 4th of July is like, um, I feel like I'm doing a tour overseas. It's, it's pretty, actually, last year, friends of ours came, he did a few tours over, uh, literally did two, a few tours uh, in the uh, different conflicts, and he had to leave early. He's like, I'm, getting, I'm literally getting triggered. <laughs> I feel like I'm back in the war. So anyways, uh, we're leaving for that. Um, I don't know what I'm talking about. So okay, so um, <laughs> oversharing. The, uh, the, the question was, you know, what summer activity you're most looking forward to? Uh, what I, this is kind of just cracks me up. So we told our kids when they were little, uh, you ever seen the greatest showman? So you know, the greatest showman moment where they're on the roof, roof, and, uh, they were talking about like, you know, one day I want to take you around the world or whatever kind of thing. We, we had those moments back when, when, when the kids were little, we didn't have any money. And, uh, you know, early, starting off in ministry, I think I made like 13 grand a year and Natalie, uh, was, no, I, no, I, I made, I made a full-time salary. It was 23 grand a year, ballin'. And uh, Natalie stayed home uh, with with the with the kids, and uh, that's what she wanted to do. So we, that you know, so like filet mignon was like chicken nuggies, you know, right? Going to to McDonald's, and so they are called chicken nuggies. That's the the technical term. And we were telling the girls when they were little, hey, we're gonna take you wherever you want to go when you turn 16. And we thought they would forget. Uh, and so when uh, our older one, she wanted to go to Japan, which makes sense because she leans way more in the anime and that kind of world. The younger one, uh, Kaya, who's now just turned 16, uh, we thought she wanted to go to uh, Korea. That's where she was leaning more, more K-pop and uh, facial creams and that kind of thing. And so, uh, <laughs> so she leans way more uh, Korea. And so we thought she wanted to go to Korea. It was Korea, Korea, Korea forever. And then like, it, she just took a hard left turn a few months ago and said she wanted to go to uh, Orlando. It's like... I've never been to that region of Korea before, uh, so, we're, so what I'm looking forward to is we're going to go to Disney World, and she said, uh, and she gets frustrated when I mock her about this, but it's okay, um, just keep this between us and everyone watching online the podcast, and so, but she said, I want to go to Disney World one more time uh, because it's my last chance to see you through the eyes of a child. It's like, what? no, no, don't give her, don't, don't, don't feed into that, it's, that's called manipulation, it's not... We support it, but it's like, well, fine, we'll go to Disney. So we're looking forward to going to uh, Disney World. We leave on the 4th of July. So we'll, we'll get out before the war starts in, in Santa Ana. Uh, but anywho, that's neither here nor there. We're looking forward to summer. Uh, one of the uh, things we're talking about today, where this is the final week of the Greatest Hits series. We've gone through kind of the, some of the big stories uh, in Scripture and hopefully sharing them from a different perspective. And so some of you guys that maybe grew up in the faith, you've heard a lot of these stories before, but hopefully from a different uh, perspective, a different point of view that you've never maybe thought about. And those of you guys that maybe didn't grow up in church or you weren't paying attention in church, like helps me growing up, uh, then these were all new kind of stories and talking about how uh, God has always been working uh, throughout history and God is working now and long after we're worm food, God will still be working, right? And so this is, uh, today we're going to end with the story of Joseph. Uh, Joseph and Technicolor Dreamcoat. That, I'm not going to sing any of that kind of stuff. But that story, right, Joseph, uh, Prince of Egypt, you guys have watched that cartoon, which has the best song, that Believe song. So good, right? Whitney Mariah, we play that a lot in our house. Okay, so 
Uh, it's, it's, it's a crazy story. And when you, when you read through Genesis, I think it's like 37 through 52, talking about Joseph and his story, it's a crazy story. Uh, and you, many, so many times, if you're anything like me, you read Joseph and you're going, how in the world did he go through all of that? How in the world did he go through all that and not get bitter? There's so many of us that get bitter and gossipy and sideways with far less, right? And how did he go through that and thrive and stay close to God and all that? And I think the truth of it is actually a really simple idea. It's not an easy idea, but it's a very simple idea that we may not be able to relate to being left for dead or being thrown into a pit or being uh, sold into slavery. I don't think any of us can relate to that necessarily, uh, but we can understand some of the undercurrents and what he was feeling, and we'll walk through that. But the same things that guided Joseph's heart thousands of years ago are the same things that can guide our heart today. And if we can lean into this one simple idea, you're going to get real tired of me this morning because I'm going to say one simple idea over and over and over again. You're going to be like, I get it. Go on to point number two. There's no important number two. There's point number one over and over and over again this morning. All right? And it's going to be a very simple idea, but it's a game changer. But we're going to start with a question. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you don't know what to do? Because you may, kind of newsflash, we're faking it a lot, aren't we? We're trying to like figure it out. Like, and just you, like every parent that's like, I don't know what I'm doing. Me neither, right? And neither did your parents. Just when, I mean, especially if you're a firstborn child, you were the guinea pig. Your parents had no clue what they were doing. There was no Google. There was like Encyclopedia Britannica, right? So there's no researching. Just by the time they get to the third child and maybe have it kind of figured out, they're too tired to care anymore, right? So this is like pretty normal. So many times you don't know what to do. And especially when you look at social media, you think everyone's got to figure it out except for you. But in our lives, for the first 18 years of our lives, for many of us, it's pretty clear what to do. You have to go to school on Monday unless you skip, right? You, you get Saturday off. You have to go to do your chores. It's, it's pretty laid out for you. And then after high school, it's all about making some really important decisions. Like some of the most important decisions of your life will be in that decade after high school. Your, the, your prefrontal cortex is not even formed yet, right? You can't even really biologically make really good decisions and weigh the pros and cons, but some of the biggest decisions of your life, like we're asking 19-year-olds to choose a major. Choose a major? They can't even clean their room. You know what I mean? So like major, major decisions. And a lot of the decisions we make in our life are clear. Most of them are not. And a lot of times we make decisions, uh, when, when we have to make decisions, you don't have the strength or the clarity to make good decisions. Right? You don't have the strength or clarity to make good decisions. Hindsight's twenty twenty. But in the moment, man, especially now more than ever when it's like, just trust your feelings, follow your heart, man, some of your worst decisions you ever made in your life were because you followed your heart. I'm not saying emotions are bad. I'm just saying you really wanted that car, didn't you? You really wanted to make that, you really wanted to date that person. You really wanted to, how'd that work out, right? So I'm not saying emotions are bad. I'm just saying that sometimes we're some of the biggest decisions of our lives are made in a season of time where we don't biologically have the ability to make good decisions, and we just don't have the clarity, the, the, the experience to make good decisions. And one, another problem with all this is uh, making decisions are ch- is challenging because God doesn't tend to text. God doesn't tend to email, right? So you have to figure it out. There's some people in, our, you know, in my life that are like, God speaks to them constantly. I'm like, can he, you know? Because if I'm honest, even as a pastor, there's so many times where I'm going, okay, was that God? Was that me? Was that something I watched on TV? Was that just, what is that? Right, and you're trying to discern. There's times where godly people in my life gave me advice that was terrible. 
You know, and I'm like, well, they follow God, surely what they say, but their relationships are a train wreck or they make bad financial decisions. And I'm like, well, okay, how do I make good decisions in the middle of all of, of all this? And, and, and many times, God is just quiet. God is just quiet, right? And it's really easy to confuse God's silence for his absence. We'll see this in Joseph's story. It's really easy to confuse God's silence for his absence. And it's really easy to see inactivity and think that God is not active, Right? There's times when we feel like God is so alive and so active, right? Maybe you think back to maybe when you were a middle schooler or a high schooler when, or when you first became a believer and it seemed like God was like right next to you, right? And every time you had a worship thing and I, I remember when I, I used to um, play guitar and lead worship in a past life and I used to go to this back fire escape uh, hallway at, at the back end of our church from the basement and because the acoustics were, it's like natural reverb and echo. Right? I didn't need a soundboard, it's just natural. And I sounded like Michael Bublé back there. I sounded just like awesome, right? And then I'd, I'd go into the big room like, okay, no, I don't sound nearly as good out here. But, so, but there was like this special, I felt like God was right there with me, right? You, you go through those times where you, you think back to those moments of the, the worship night or the youth camp and I mean, man, God was so real and so alive and it's hard because sometimes now you can, you, you're, you're in a moment where it seems like God is silent. Where the old timers used to talk about that the heavens felt like they were brass. You ever felt like that? But you don't say it out loud because it sounds unspiritual. It sounds like, well, you know, they don't, they don't follow God. That's, that's, you know, you have to feel God all. But if you're honest, you're like, or you look across the room and someone's like weeping in the middle of worship. Like they're like, like they're, they're like having a one-on-one conversation with God and you're like, do, do I flex harder? Like, uh, is, and you begin to question, like, was what I felt in middle school, was it real? Was it real or was it just hype? Is what that person across the room, is what they're feeling real? Or am I doing something wrong? Like, what's going on? There's going to be a season, and if, if you're not in that season now, there will be a season at some point where you feel like it doesn't matter what you do. I'm not saying that good becomes bad and bad becomes good. It's just, it's just to get to the point where I'm going, I've done this for so long. I've said no to these things for so long. Or I've said yes to these things for so long. I've done the right things for so long. And it doesn't seem like it mattered, right? Again, you would not say this out loud a lot of times because it sounds really unspiritual. You're just supposed to toe the party line and keep moving forward. But if you're honest, it's stuff you think about. So what do you do in those moments? What do you do in those moments when it seems like God is inactive? What do you do in those moments when you feel like the emotions, the passion, they just like have melted away? What do you do in the moments when you feel like you don't know what to do? So that concept, we're gonna walk through Genesis uh, 37 through 50. We're not gonna read the whole thing. I'll be here all day. Uh, We're gonna kind of go through the flyby, right? So Genesis 37, Joseph has a dream. uh, And you guys remember what the dream is? That his brothers are gonna bow down to him. I think many siblings, younger siblings, have had this dream, right? Uh, my brother used to uh, turn me backwards, uh, like in the car. We'd go on car rides. My parents, I like, loved road trips for whatever sadistic reason. And uh, we would go to, you ever camp at Camp Jellystone? You heard of that? It's not cool. Uh, it's, um, it's like camping, but with Yogi Bear and Boo Boo. Yeah. It sounds about as bad as it, as it was. So, uh, but it's what we could afford. And so we were going to go camping down there, and my brother would turn me backwards because he's five years older than me. And my, so my butt would be where your feet go, and I'm like stuck. And I'm super claustrophobic. And he'd like tickle me and like slap my face and give me wet willies and stuff. Anyway, so I, had, I would have many dreams like this, like one day you're going to bow down to me, bro. Like you're going to, so Joseph literally had a dream from God um, that his brother was going to bow down. And just like a, a younger sibling, he kept it to himself, right? 
No, he went to his brothers and goes, hey, guys, guess what? You're going to bow down to me, which they loved. They loved that whole idea. So they, they, they essentially, short, long story short, they essentially uh, went off. Uh, Joseph ran after them because they kind of left without him, kind of kind of par for the course of their, their living situation. And they, while he was a long way off, the Bible says that they plotted to kill him. So things escalated a little bit. But the, par- the brothers were like, we're going to kill Joseph, right? You want to do this? And then one of the brothers was like, well, maybe we shouldn't kill him. What if we just faked his death and threw him in a pit? And then we can figure out what to do. So that's grace. So they decided to do that. They fake his death. They tell his dad that he died. And they go, you know what? Uh, we're going to sell him to Ishmaelites, who were like traders. They traded in all sorts of goods and people, apparently. And the Ishmaelites end up taking him 300 miles away to Egypt. What's interesting, though, if you look at Genesis chapter 37, it says while Joseph was in the pit, do you know what it says he was doing? He was praying. He was praying. I'd be praying too, but like praying curses on my brothers, right? Explosive diarrhea for a lifetime is what I'd be praying for my brother. But he was actually praying, which we get a glimpse into the character of Joseph during hard times. Right? So he's praying, uh, and they send, sell him to the Ishmaelites. Ishmaelites take him, send, take him 300 miles away. Now, I Googled it this morning. You know, Las Vegas is like 264 miles away, right? Think about that. So further than Las Vegas, right? That's how far uh, Joseph was taken away from his family. There was no find my friends. His dad, his family couldn't check. They, he was gone. He might as well have been on another planet, Right? He was absolutely gone. So Joseph was sold to the Ishmaelites. Ishmaelites t- take him to the, to the slaver's block in Egypt, sell him on the auctioning block as a slave. And now this is a 17-year-old who used to have slaves. He come, comes from a very wealthy family. And then now he is a slave. Put yourself in his positions. What would you be feeling if you were Joseph? Going through all the stages of grief, right? Ticked off, thinking one day, any minute now, my dad's going to come with his army, and take this guy down, and then it never happens. So what are you feeling? What ends up happening is the captain of Pharaoh's guard buys him. So we'll read it in Genesis chapter 39. It says this, when Joseph, 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 uh, Joe, was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was a captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So think of him as almost like a um, like the leader of the secret service. It's not really exactly that, but kind of think that's kind of his level. Very trusted individual. And the next verse, it says, verse two, it says, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Okay, any guys like me who read through this, but you missed this. This is the phrase that we see over and over again in Joseph's story, that the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. I think it's really important that the author had to put that in because we would assume by looking at his circumstances that the Lord was not with Joseph. A lot of times we as Western Christians, we don't look at what faithfulness is in in the sense of faithfulness is our allegiance and trust and faith in God regardless of what happens. But we look at circumstances. Oh, they must be hashtag blessed because look at their kids. They must be blessed because look at their neighborhood, look at their job, look at their clothes, look at their whatever, their following. And so they must be blessed they must be faithful. And this gives us a whole different category. Because with that kind of prosperity mentality, we would look at Joseph and go, obviously God was not with him. He was beat, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, right? Obviously he's not hashtag blessed, right? The author had to write that because we'd assume that God was mad at him. We would assume that God had left him. 
And what the author was saying is, hold on, you don't know the rest of the story. You don't know the rest of the story. Circumstances do not determine the presence of God. So next verse, verse 5, it says that the Lord blessed Potiphar's household because of Joe. So it says this, from the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. Interesting. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So what's wild is Potiphar's household was blessed. Why? Because of Joseph. If you're Joseph, you'd be going, I got an idea. Why not bless Joseph because of Joseph? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Because I'm still a slave. I'm being faithful. Super cool. You're blessing Potiphar and his household. Awesome. Can I get some of that? Like, I don't know, not be a slave. Not think my dad, you know, not my dad thinking I'm dead, right? So do you know what Joseph did? As, as he's being faithful and as God is blessing his slave owner, as God is blessing this pagan man and his pagan family in a pagan land, do you know what Joseph does? Joseph did, and this is the line you're gonna hear me say over and over and over again. Joseph did what any of us would do in his shoes. Joseph did what any 17-year-old would do in his shoes that was beaten and thrown in a pit and, and, and left for dead and sold into slavery and is now being, his, his slave owners are being blessed. He, he did what any of us would do that if they were confident that God was with them. He responded like any of us would respond if they were confident, absolutely confident that God was with him. And so Joe gains favor and becomes Potiphar's right hand becomes chief slave, for lack of better words, for Potiphar. And then things kind of take a turn for the worse. Potiphar gives Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything Potiphar has, right? Joseph has no worries, essentially. And so what ends up happening in the very next verse, uh, verse 6 through 9, it says this, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. Like all the guys in the room, it's like looking in the mirror, right? So Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Okay, so we've got a cougar situation going on here. Uh, and uh, Potiphar's wife, who is nameless, uh, says, come and sleep with me. She is not mincing words. There's no, like, misconstruing her intentions here. Come and sleep with me. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master, your hubby, uh, trust me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you, doi, because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? And here's the line. Here's the line. It would be a great sin against who? I can't sleep with you, nameless woman. Right? It'd be a great sin against your husband. He's given me so much. No, it'd be a great sin against you. I respect you too much, lady. No, no, no. It'd be a great sin against God. Now, side note, kind of put Zach Morris' time out here. Before we give Joseph too much credit, we have no idea what she looks like. Okay, so this could have been like a super easy decision, right? Like, this could have been like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. Throw me into prison. Okay. Uh, but we, don't, we have no idea. So he's a teenager with an impossible decision, okay? He's an impossible. If, if he, he's darn if he does, darn if he doesn't. If he doesn't sleep with her, he's done. If he does sleep with her, eventually, it's not like he's going to get married happily ever after. If he does sleep with her, at some point, game over, and he'll probably be executed, right? So thank you, God, for honoring my right decisions, right? Darn if I do, darn if I don't. Thank you, God, for putting me in a situation where I can be blessed. No, 
No matter what he does, it's not a good situation. The average guy would have just gone, forget it, man. I'm going to make some memories, right? Seriously, right? That's what most people would do. And if, if you're Potiphar's wife and Joseph goes, I could not sin against God. Now, this is a pagan nation, pagan lady. If I'm her, I'm going, oh, oh, oh. you don't want to sin against God. The God that left you for dead? The God that let you be sold into slavery? You understand you're my husband's slave. That God who's blessed us because you've been faithful? You don't want to, what's he going to do to you? What's he going to do to you? You don't want to sin against him? But the thing is, when you understand who you live for, when you understand who you live for, you understand who you sin against, right? When you understand who you live for, you understand who you sin against. When you understand who you live for, you understand who your source is, right? Joseph understood his source wasn't Potiphar. His source wasn't the nation of Egypt. His source was God. That's who he's accountable to. When you understand who you, uh, you, uh, who you live for, you understand whose applause matters the most, right? And when you understand who you live for, you understand whose judgment matters the most. This is why it doesn't matter if everyone is for you, but you live in such a way that he isn't. And this is why you can be at peace when God is with you, when you're in the center of God's will, but no one else is. This is why gossip doesn't matter. This is why slander doesn't matter. I remember when the kids were little and they would come home and be like, oh, this, this kid made fun of me because kids are mean. And be like, okay, so if, if a kid said that you're an elephant, are you an elephant? No. It's like, who cares? Who cares, right? Probably wasn't very good parenting, but that's, that's my, my way of saying, suck it up. Like, it's fine. It's fine, right? Because at the end of the day, people will gossip about you. They probably are right now. Somebody is, right? Does that change anything about you? The big thing is, how are you and God? How are you and God? Because if we're not careful, we can live for other people's applause. We buy things we can't afford or impress people we don't even know, right? And the whole time, God's going, are you living for me? See, I understand that my value doesn't come from social media. Your value doesn't come from social media. Your value doesn't come from what your boss thinks about about you. Your value doesn't come from what your friends think about you. Your value doesn't come from what your neighbors think about you. What matters the most is what God thinks about you. And if I lose my job, if you lose your job, that's not your source. You realize that? Your source is much higher and has access to far more resources than whatever you think your source is right now. And this is the moment when Joseph would have gone, does it even matter what I do, God? Does it even matter what I do? Right? Because if I, if I sleep with her, I'm like, that's, I'm, I'm going to get found out. I'm going to get executed. If I don't, what's God going to do? If I, if I disobey God in this moment, what's God going to do? Beat me? What's God going to do? Send me into slavery? Right? What's, what's God, what's God going to do? Take me from my family? Send me to a different world? And there's a day coming, if you haven't experienced this already, there's a day coming when you're going to think, 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 think the exact same thing. And here's the big question we're going to think about. Does it matter if I'm faithful to God? Does it matter if I'm faithful to God? And again, we're gonna, this is one of those talks where it sounds weird to say it out loud because you're like, oh man, are you reading my journal? You're going to think, does it matter if I'm faithful to God? Because God, for months or for years or for decades, I've been faithful. God, I've made the right decisions. I've said no to that stuff. I say yes to all those things. And it doesn't seem like it got me anywhere. And you can begin to think about, man, I've missed out on some memories. I've missed out on some fun stuff I could have been doing. 
So Joseph does the right thing and he runs off. And for his faithfulness, what happens? He gets thrown into prison. It just gets better and better and better for Joseph. Next verse, it says this, Potter was, Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. He treated her like a princess. Anyways, uh, he, heard, he was furious when he heard his wife's stories about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison. And you're wondering what happens in the prison. It's where the king's prisoners were held. It's, like, it's funny how they explained that. Oh, that's what prison is. And there he remained. Next verse, verse 20. But the Lord was with Joseph in prison. You ever notice this? Again, it shows up. But the Lord was with Joseph in prison and showed him his faithful love. Again, we would think that God had left Joseph, right? So, and then it says, it's such a weird sentence, and the Lord gave Joseph favor with the prison warden. That's weird. That's weird. Like, here's the thing. You don't want to have a relationship with a prison warden. You shouldn't even know a prison warden unless you're like your neighbor, right? Like, you shouldn't be like BFF with the prison warden, right? This isn't the way Joseph would have written the story of God's faithfulness. And a lot of times, I think, you know, when you're like you're a teenager or maybe in your early 20s or something, you think that think life is very linear. And we, those of us that are older, uh, know that's not true, right? You think, okay, God gives me a dream or here's what I want to do. And then here's where I will end up, uh, you know, with the billions of dollars in my retirement account. And it'll just be just, just this, like this linear path, right? Of just up into the right, success, for you be this way, for up into the right, success, success. Just, I cannot handle all the success. But we know it's more like this. Here's the beginning. And then it's like this right? And a whole lot of, God, what in the world is going on, right? And some of the greatest moments are followed by some of the greatest tragedy because it was hollow, right? It was chasing after the wind. And some of the greatest, like, frustrating moments were quickly followed by some of the highest points of your life that actually had some substance to it. A lot of times our lives don't look anything like we would have written. Relationships end that you wish never would have ended. Maybe relationships don't start that you really wish would have started. Sicknesses, instead of going away, uh, just stay, right? And you wonder, God, why don't you heal me? You heal the person over there. Why don't you heal me? There's drama in your life that maybe you created or maybe you didn't create that you're going, why is it their agenda to create drama in my life? Are they bored? Like, what do they have going on, right? Maybe your job, uh, you, were lo- you lost your job, you had to change career paths or the business went under. Maybe promotions never came that you know you deserve. Everyone knew you deserved it, but for whatever reason it didn't come to you, went to somebody else. And you're going, are you blind? Like, what is going on? God, do you see? Maybe other people in your life get applause and it seems like you're just spare parts. You're going, what is going on? So what did Joseph do as he's sitting in prison? Joseph did what anybody would do. Again, you're going to get really bored of this. Joseph did what anybody would do if they knew that God was with them. And maybe our greatest challenge in our Christian life is to ask the question, what would someone do in my situation if they really believed that God was with them? What would someone do in my marriage, in my workplace, in my stage of life, with my weird neighbors? What would God do with my employees or my boss? Or what would God do in my situation Or what would someone do in my situation if they really believed that God was with them, if they were absolutely confident that God was with them? That changes the whole equation. So fast forward. One day, Joe and the chief dealer are hanging out, uh, playing Nintendo Switch or whatever they were doing, and then they meet the cupbearer and the baker, right? Cupbearer, it sounds like it's a, like a, 
fairy tale waiting to happen. So cupbearer and the baker come in, and they tell, they're just like, just shooting the breeze, and they tell Joseph their dreams. And Joseph's got nothing else to do. He interprets their dreams, right? To the baker, he goes like, eh, it's not gonna be good for you. Like, you're actually gonna, uh, here's a vision, you're gonna like die and stuff. And then he goes to the, to the cupbearer and goes, your cupbearer is a, the person who like, it's at the right hand of the leader and they eat the food, they t- test the food. Uh, and it's, it goes great until you die, right? And then unless someone tries to poison the leader and then you're like, this quiche is great, right? So, um, so he tells the cupbearer, hey, you're actually, you're actually gonna be restored. You're actually gonna be restored. And so uh, the Joe says in like verse 21, 22, he says, okay, here's the deal though. When you're restored, this is what's gonna happen in the future. When you're restored, just one, one job for you. Don't forget me. Don't forget me. Joe, prison, okay, restored, don't forget me. And then Joe's thinking, this could be the big break. This could be the big break. And verse 23, the very next verse, it says this, that the cupbearer forgot him. Right? Well, here's, here's a weird thing that's, that's happening before we get too hard on the cupbearer. Back in the day, this never happens now and definitely not with anybody in this room, but what used to happen back in the day is people would get these really tough situations and they'd go like, God, whatever, if you can get me out of this situation that I created, if you can get me out of this, I'll serve you forever. I'll tithe 99%. I'll, I'll volunteer all the time. I will, you know, do all this stuff for you if you just get me out of this situation. And then when God is faithful and kind of the pressure goes off, like God who? Right? Again, never happens to us. But this is what the cupbearer did. Right? He's He's, he's about to be executed or be in prison indefinitely. And then he, God kind of rescues him. He, he's restored back to his old position and he immediately forgets the faithfulness of God. I'm glad we never deal with that, but that's what he did. But the question here is, if you're in Joseph's shoes, you ever feel like God forgot you? You ever feel like God forgot you? You're sitting there going, hey, remember me? Still here. Whenever you're ready, I'm ready. Right? You prayed, you did the right things, you made the right choices, you fasted, and then nothing. You're like, okay, surely, soon. And God was silent, but it doesn't mean that God was absent. God was silent, but it doesn't mean God was absent. Just because you don't see anything happening doesn't mean nothing is happening, right? Just because you don't see anything happening doesn't mean nothing is happening. Just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it doesn't make sense. Just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it doesn't make sense. And just because you can't interpret the circumstances doesn't mean there's not a divine interpretation, Two years goes by. Two years goes by. An entire pandemic goes by, right? And the cupbearer forgot, totally spaces it. Two years, but God didn't. Here's what was happening behind the scenes. While Joseph was just sitting in prison, sulking, God was working. God was positioning Joseph to bring his entire family to Egypt, which will happen later. Make his family to a great nation that would be redeemed that would enter the promised land and would bring forth the Messiah that would restore mankind. And one day, thousands of years later, there'd be a small group of people worshiping that same God in Tustin, California, but Joseph had no idea. All that hinged on Joseph just sitting for a bit. Joseph is the kind of person that blurts out the dreams when he shouldn't. He's the go-getter. He's the leap-before-you-think kind of person right? And the best thing that God could do to protect Joseph from exploding by his own proactivity is to go sit. I need to quarantine you or else you'll mess this up. There's too much on the line. Do you trust me enough just to sit in prison for a bit? 
This isn't a punishment. This is grace. This is grace. This isn't because I'm mad at you. It's because I have great plans for you. And there's a lot more on the line that I can't explain to you. Just sit. Just trust me. It would have helped if God would have shared that with him. But instead, Joseph's going, stupid cupbearer. I'm going to, if I see that cup, I'm going to, right? I remember years ago, I went to, I was like seven years old. And uh, my parents did a lot of business with uh, people overseas, a lot of Japan, Korea. Uh, and so they would have to entertain clients, right? Some of you guys that grew up in kind of a business home, you understand this. And so they would take them to Cubs game to watch the Cubs, Cubbies lose. And then they'd take them like uh, to the musicals and stuff in Chicago. Well, one of, the, one of their biggest clients, a guy named Mr. Sato, uh, was coming in town with his wife, and my dad just happened to be out of town, so my mom volunteered me. I don't know why my brother, to this day, I don't know why my brother didn't get the call. But I'm like seven years old, I guess I was available, uh, I had nothing else going on, and my mom goes, hey, tonight, uh, you're going with me, we're going to go take Mr. Sato out and his wife to go see Phantom of the Opera. And I was like, just kill me now, <laughs> just, just get it over with, right? I'm like, what seven-year-old wants to go see opera? Okay? My mom's like, it's not opera, it's more of a musical. You'll, you'll get it. I'm like, well, I, this is to me the worst. I have the worst life ever. And so they, she takes me to see Family Opera. And you guys go to musicals, you know this. Usually two or three acts, typically two acts. And by, by the end of the first act, it ends. Lights go on. I'm just like, that was a really weird way to end uh, the musical. It feels really unfinished. And they're like, come back in 15 minutes by intermission. So I was so into this. Uh, already by the first act, I asked my mom, I was like, hey, can we go out to the lobby? Uh, can you get me the double disc? That's an old-fashioned sentence. Uh, can you give me the gold, uh, double disc of the soundtrack? So we go out there, and Mr. Sato, you know, it, it buys me popcorn. I remember this to this day. Popcorn, a large drink that is way too much sugar for a little seven-year-old me should have at that time, uh, and jujubes. Remember jujubes? Uh, also, they, like, fill in cavities uh, in your, right? So, I got, my ca- I got my jujubes, I got my popcorn, I got my drink, and we go back in, because uh, lights flash, go back in for when I now found out to be the second act. What's crazy is, I'm expecting the curtain to open up and it to look just like the ending of the first act. Logical, right? You don't hear anything going on, so when it, obviously it'll look the same. What I didn't realize was there was a whole team, while I was focused on jujubes, there was a whole team working furiously to flip the set. And if you guys have ever been to Family Opera, the second, the second act opens up, huge masquerade. There's like, like, a, like balconies and a couple stairways and everyone's dressed up. You're going, what just happened? There was a whole team working behind the scenes that I had no perception of. And even though from the outside, it looked like nothing had changed, everything had changed. I just was not aware of it until the curtains opened. This is Joseph's situation. This is a lot of us too where there's situations happen that we just can't perceive. There's things that God is working behind the scenes. Just chill. If you don't rush, if you feel like you're rushing a situation, especially those that are proactive, like rise and grind kind of people, man, there's gonna be times where you need to go, God, am I getting ahead of you? If you're the kind of person that's like, God, will you bless the things I'm doing? Check yourself. Because it's not about God blessing what you're doing, it's about God, where are you going? And I wanna go with you. So if I go wherever God is, it's already blessed. So if you feel like you're getting ahead of God, man, slow down. God is rarely ever in a rush. A lot of times we are. 
So Joseph passes the test of poverty and temptation and fear of being forgotten and be fear of being abandoned. And then Joseph, or Pharaoh has this dream, which is kind of a crazy situation. Pharaoh has this dream, and he didn't know what it meant. So he asked all of his crew, what does this mean? And none of his people knew what it meant. And then the cupbearer finally, after two years, goes, oh, I know a guy. I, my bad. I know a guy. Told him I wasn't going to forget. Two years, my bad. So they clean Joseph up, shave him, bring him in front of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's the guy that can kill you or, or, or free you, right? Some of you guys have done any sort of research on the Pharaohs. I mean, they make Roman emperors look like Polly Pocket. I mean, they, were, they did some nasty, nasty stuff. And so this is the guy that can kill you. Have you skinned alive or whatever, right? You don't want to mess with Pharaoh. Pharaoh thinks he's a god, right? So Pharaoh asks Joseph if Joseph can interpret the dream. And Joseph responds, like none of us would have, right? I think, I mean, if I'm Joseph, I'm going, you know, if, if Pharaoh asked me, hey, Taka, can you uh, interpret dreams? I'd be like, hey, funny story. That's how this whole thing started, right? Like, this is kind of what I do. I'm known as the guy that, you know, this, this is my jam. A lot of things I can't do, interpreting dreams, I got you, all right? I got you. That's not what he says. Really, really weird situation. So Pharaoh asks him, and he responds in verse 16. He says, it is beyond my power to do this. What? What? If you're the cupbearer, you're like, Ixnay. Like, no. Come on, we've gone through this, man. Remember? I'm, two years, I'm sorry. But like, right? Beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied. But God can tell you what it means. God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Oh, man, you don't tell a pagan guy who thinks he's a god that God can. Right? You tell him he can do the thing that he wants you to do. It's a stupid thing to say. It's a stupid thing to say unless unless you're confident that God is with you. And if God is with you right there, there's nothing else you could say. It sounds really silly to brag when, if you really believe God is with you, that he's the one that actually gives you the ability to do that stuff, right? So here's his interpretation. Hey, Pharaoh, seven years will be good, seven years will be bad. Not only that, more than interpretation, he gives him a plan. He says a seven years of good, if you put some away, and then you're the one that holds all the cards during the seven bad years. And people will trade their gold and everything, everything they hold precious, they will trade you for food. Because what good is all that stuff if you're dead? So if you position yourself right, you can actually not only survive in this next seven years, but you'll actually thrive because of it. So what what does Joseph do? He made Pharaoh the most powerful man in the world, and then Pharaoh makes him number two. Number two, what do you do with all that wealth? What do you do with all that power? What do you do with all that influence? What do you do when you can make anyone do whatever you want them to do? Abraham Lincoln said that poverty reveals man's virtues, but prosperity reveals man's vices. Poverty re- reveals man's virtues. A lot of times you know, during hard times, uh, you know, we see that some of the best in people, some of the bad stuff too, but a lot of the best in people. Post 9-11, a lot of stories of heroism, right? So poverty re- reveals man's virtues, but prosperity reveals man's vices. You find out what people are really like when they get some success or power behind them, Right? You're like, what happened to them? They got a little full of themselves, right? See, some people fail God when they feel abandoned or sick or alone or fearful. fearful. Some people fail God when they get power. Some people fail God when they get wealth, when they get influence. So what did Joe do? How did Joseph rule when he became the second most powerful person in the most powerful nation of the known world at that time? He ruled like anyone would rule. They actually believed that God was with them. So you guys that know the rest of the story, his brothers, who remember the ones that kind of sold him into slavery, that whole brothers, 
They came and Joseph messes with them a little bit. It's kind of a funny story. I mean, he had to be there. And then they all kind of live happily ever after, right? And eventually, Joseph's dad dies. And the brothers think, man, Joe's just being nice to us because he doesn't want to grieve dad. But once dad dies, he's going to just murder us, like literally. Like he's just going to take it to us and get vengeance, right? He'll be like, and you go, Montoya, you kill my father, prepare to die. It'll be like a situation of vengeance, right? And so there's a situation where the brothers are in front of him. Uh, Joseph is, you know, the second in charge. He probably looks more Egyptian than he looks, you know, Jewish at this time. He has all the garb. He's the second most powerful person in, in, in all the land. And the brothers are bowing in front of Joseph. This is what Joseph saw in his dream so long ago, right? And Joseph is judging the fate of these brothers. And again, these brothers think, <laughs> game over, man. This is it. We had a good run. Super sorry about the whole deal. Slavery, my, our bad, right? Apologize. But what, what happens? Verse 19, it says, Joseph speaking, don't be afraid. Am I to judge instead of God? And the brothers are like, yeah. It's kind of the deal. Like the whole court is going, yeah, bro, did you not read your job description? This is what you do, right? Joseph said, it is not my place. It's not my place. But it is, though. It is. But it's not if you believe that God was with you, if you believe that God was just, if you believe that every leadership position is an interim leadership position, if you believe that your responsibility and your influence is you're going to be held accountable for how you use it, that ultimately you're an under-shepherd. Anybody who's any sort of leader, no matter how powerful and how many zeros are in your paycheck, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, we are under, right, the king of all kings, the CEO over all CEOs, Right? The pharaoh of all pharaohs is God. And so Joseph goes on. He goes, even though you intended to harm me, and did, God intended it only for good. And through me, he preserved the lives of countless people, as he is still doing today. So don't worry. I'll provide for you, myself, for you and your children. So Joseph reassured them and continued to speak kindly to them. So he said, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of your kids too. Why? Why did Joseph act like this? Because this is what anybody would do if they really believed that God was with them. So let me ask you a few questions. Do you know what God wants to accomplish through you? Do you have any idea what God wants to accomplish through you? No, none of us do. To the extent of, to the fullest extent, do you know how many people God wants to bless and influence through you? No. Do you know what hangs in the balance of your decisions? You don't want to look back at your life and think, what could I have done with my life? What could I have done with my business? What could I have done with my talents, my resources, my influence, my finances? What could I have done if I was confident God was with me? What would someone do in my situation who was confident that God was with me? You don't want to miss your part in God's story. You don't want to wake up and go, oh, how stupid was I? I tried to control people. I tried to manipulate situations. I tried to make it happen, and I messed it up. You don't want to look back at your life like that. So this is why. This is so important. This is why when you don't know what to do, you don't ask, how do I feel? Right? Again, I'm not saying feelings are bad, but when you don't know what to do, you don't ask, how do I feel? If Joseph asked that question as he's sitting in the pit or in the prison or whatever, if he asked, how do I feel right now? I'm going to make decisions out of my feelings. Would he have made good decisions? You don't ask, how do I feel? You don't ask, God, why are things this way? You don't ask, why can't things be different? And if you're going to talk, what's wrong with those questions? Have they done anything productive in your life? when you've let your heart be full, when you don't know what to do, when it feels like there's no right answer and everything is different shades of wrong, different shades of bad, there's no clear, great 
great answer or great decision to move forward. And you've asked, you know, why are things this way or why can't things be different or what do I feel? How has your heart been in those situations? Peace? Want to surrender more and be faithful to God? Does it lean you more towards God? You ask a simple question. It's broken record here. One point sermon. When you don't know what to do, you ask this one simple question. What would someone do in my situation if they really believed God was with them? That's it. What would someone do in my situation if they really believed God was with them? You don't have to worry about anyone else's responsibility, just your role. And when you understand that God is with you, you don't get discouraged when things don't look right. When you understand that God is with you, you don't get discouraged when things don't look right. You don't get discouraged when you feel forgotten. And you don't get cocky and arrogant when you get some money or you get some power. So the big question, God is with you. So why not respond like it? God is with you. If we say amen to that, we agree with it, then why not respond like it? Why not live like it? A few verses as we end. Matthew 28, Jesus speaking, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll stick closer than a brother. Deuteronomy 31, Old Testament. God says, the Lord himself will go before you and be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not, do not be discouraged. And then Psalm 23, different translation because I think a lot of us just think of Coolio. But it says, even when I walk through a valley of deep darkness, I will not be afraid. Why? Because everything goes my way? No. Even though I walk through a valley of deep darkness, I will not be afraid because I know that you are with me. Last question again. God is with you. God is with you. So why not respond like it? Why not respond like it? So what do you do when you don't know what to do? What would someone do in my situation if they were confident, absolutely confident that God was with them? And I think the moments like that, it becomes really clear. It becomes really clear. So we're gonna take communion uh, in a second here, but let me pray for us. God, I just thank you for being so faithful. God, I thank you for being so patient. Gosh, there's so many times when I've messed stuff up um, and I was confident, I was confidently wrong, and I was confidently hurried. God, we put our lives in your hands. We trust you. For those who have, who have, who have not made the decision to, to trust you with our hearts, to follow you, or maybe we used to follow you, but we have since kind of fell off the bandwagon, God, I pray, would you help us to walk back into relationship with you and put our full trust in you? And with the way that we spend our time and our, our resources, the way we spend our talents and our gifts, what we think about, what we let worry us, God, would it, would it reveal that we do trust you? God, would be reminded of the fact that you are with us. We don't have to ask you to be with us. You are already with us. You are with us while we're in church. You're with us when we're in the car. You're with us when we're at home and everywhere, everywhere in between. Help us to live as if that's true. So many times we live as if you're a million miles away and then ask for you to come and we're in trouble. God, we choose to live as if you're with us all the time. I pray that that would lead to humility and curiosity and love and forgiveness and hope. As we take communion, God, we remember the significant price, the sacrifice that you made to make this relationship possible. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Would you stand to your feet?